let me think of how to answer this the right way. So I think any systems administrator would be familiar with like this intrinsically. What is an, a legacy operating system? Almost like porn. I can't explain it, but I know it when I see it. It's a bit of a pejorative word. Legacy operating systems, we don't really need to define them at this point, right? But we do need to talk about them because as with much of the legacy technology we've talked about in this series, it's everywhere. The latest greatest is what we like love to talk about and it's what the media gets excited about. But in reality, the vast majority of the economic activity is happening on like these legacy operating systems, these things that were deployed months, years ago and are still running ad infinitum, essentially for years and years and years. And they exist in data centers. They exist on the edge. They exist in embedded devices all over our lives. You know, there's old little devices that we have in our closets or, or ones that maybe we still use and they're no longer supported, no longer getting security updates. We are surrounded by operating systems, legacy operating systems. And in today's episode, we excavate the ossified operating systems and hear how to best tackle working with them. Yeah, let's do it. This is Compiler, an original podcast from Red Hat. I'm Angela Andrews. And I'm Brent Simino. We go beyond the jargon and simplify tech topics. We're taking a few episodes to consider the value of legacy technologies. If you want to hear this series from the beginning, you can start from our episode in defense of legacy. Today's episode, Ossified Operating Systems. Producer Johan Philippine is here to unearth some fossils. All right, we are revisiting operating systems. We talked about them in the Stack Unstuck series, and we touched on them in the updates episode. Mm-hmm. Today, we're going to cover why you might run into those older systems and how to handle them when you do. Yep. When we spoke to Aaron Lee a couple episodes ago about hardware, he also had a few things to say about legacy operating systems. In the case of academia, we had a device that was running Windows XP in an era where the university was running Windows 10. From the most basic, you have the fact that that's a security issue. You cannot have a device running Windows XP because it puts everything at risk. And that's a really good example as to how failing an older technology can put everything at risk because you have something that is vulnerable because it's not being supported anymore. Now, I don't know if I'd call Windows XP failing at this point, but it has been around for quite a while. So why is that such a security issue? We know XP has been around for a while and has had years of patches that must have plugged all of the security holes, right? Angela, help us out here. There is no way you should be running XP (laughs) on your network. It is the weakest link. Just because it was patched when it was supported Security vulnerabilities pop up all the time. People discover exploits that you didn't know existed. Think about it. The continuum of every operating system. Mm -hmm. It's good. It's patched until somebody finds something to exploit, right? Mm. That is literally the weakest link on your network. Mm. It's one of those things that it is such a huge risk for everything else on the environment. You really should work hard to move anything off of a legacy system. But as we've discussed, sometimes that's not as easy as it seems. Now, even when there's nothing valuable on that vulnerable machine, 
it still puts everything else on the same network at risk. Because mm-hmm. if someone can gain trusted access to a machine on your network, they'll likely be able to use that access to get to the other machines that had better outer defenses, let's call them. To hear more about how that plays out, you can check out our episode on memes and security. That, that was a fantastic example of exactly how they did that kind of thing. Johan's plugging all the old episodes. In this I one. love that. <laughs> they all mesh together. Yeah. Now, in Aaron's case, in academia, they were using this machine running XP to run a laser engraver. And long story short, it was a very expensive piece of machinery that was still functioning properly, but there was no way to have that software be installed on a newer operating system. So they had to keep it running on Windows XP. There was no upgrade path for them that way. And that's not an outlier. Right, So that that was the case in academia. It's not ideal, but remember what we heard in the open. There are countless devices out there that are running on operating systems that haven't been and no one plans on updating anytime soon. Mm -hmm. A lot of us have experienced being forced to work on an older operating system. It feels sluggish in comparison to what we have today. It can be kind of clunky. Mm-hmm. And on top of the security concerns, there's the issue of forwards compatibility, right? It, it's rare, and without it, you're really limited for options. You're not going to be able to install newer software on older operating systems because there's resource limitations, just the way things are coded these days. You just wouldn't be able to run a lot of the newer software, right? Mm-hmm. But there's some good news that our next guest has to share. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> right? <laughs> Now, Scott McCarty is a senior principal product manager here at Red Hat. Father Linux? Yeah, it's Father Linux. <laughs> Would you mind telling us a little bit more about... Like, literally, that is his Twitter handle. That's his Twitter, yeah. Um, he it's, is it's... all things Linux. It's <laughs> it's amazing. And he's on our podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How cool is that? Well, Father Linux, he has a history of working with operating systems of all ages. And like he alluded to in the opener... When it comes to operating systems, he's seen it all. When you're talking to a customer, they'll often tell you what they're trying to do. They're like, hey, we have these thousands of systems. We're trying to upgrade them. And then they pause for a second and they kind of like show this face of embarrassment. And they're like, I mean, our stuff's really old. So like, don't judge me. And I think, you know, there's a bit of insecurity on the rest of the economy that's using this legacy technology, if you will. And then there's a bit of, uh, I would say, the very good technology providers understand that well, and they respect that. Has this been your experience too, Angela? Yes, that has been my experience. When you're super proud of what you're running, what type of new services and things that you provide, and then you say, yeah, but we're running a couple of insert deprecated operating system here. It makes you feel kind of embarrassed because it's like, wow, we're doing such great things here, but we're still running some of this old stuff that we should, we have, we have no business running. It really does make you feel bad because you know, it shouldn't be this way, Mm. but for some reason you're still running it and it's probably out of your hands. Mm. He was talking about this sense of kind of guilt and shame from the buying Mm -hmm. side of things Mm -hmm. when Again, we've been talking about this. There are a lot of reasons for this to be the case. And like Scott said, very good technology providers, they understand that and they they respect it. And they, you know, if it's needed, help you work beyond that and, and get to the newer stuff as needed. But there's also a little work that can be done on the selling side, right? And, and we're a little guilty of this too, right? We had a whole episode about the importance of updating your systems and 
kind of tongue-in-cheek made some illusions that it's not the greatest thing to keep running on the older stuff. The other distinction that Scott made is that there's the, the two economies that he's talking about. There's the technology industry. We're obviously trying to sell the latest stuff all the time. And then there's the rest of the economy, which they're just trying to make sure that their stuff is running. And if it's running fine and nothing's breaking, then why spend that money on uh, on getting the latest and greatest stuff if what they have running is, is, just, is just okay or it's, it's doing the job that it needs to? Mm-hmm. Now, next, we're going to talk about what to actually do when you run into those older operating systems and how to best handle them. Hi, I'm Mike Ferris, Chief Strategy Officer. I've been a Red Hatter for about 25 years. And before your episode starts, I want to talk a bit about AI. The hot topic right now is foundation models. And those are important, but at Red Hat, we see them as just a piece of the larger AI infrastructure. And here's what I mean by that. Enterprises are built of hundreds or even thousands of applications. It's not hard to imagine a future in which those applications are being served by hundreds or thousands of models. Without a common platform for your data scientists and developers, without a way to simplify some really complex workflows as you train, tune, serve, and monitor models, it can get overwhelming pretty quickly. And that's why we've built Red Hat OpenShift AI, a platform where everyone is working together on the same page to build and deploy AI models and applications with transparency and control. Find out how at redhat.com. Like Scott has been telling me, a lot of the times, you don't need to be on the latest and greatest operating system. Windows XP, probably a little bit too old at this point, probably want to look at getting beyond that. But between there and today, there's a sweet spot where there's a lot of advantages for security, reliability, and performance. Scott judges operating systems on a few criteria. So I've always used these three dimensions to analyze operating systems. You know, security is one thing. Performance is another. I might make a change, and now the performance is better overall for like a 1,000 use cases. But one use case, it like somehow plummets 10%, and now my app is broken in some weird, strange way. And now I've affected availability again through performance. And then the third one is, is I may make a one-liner change and some config file changes or the way it handles a config, some little edge case scenario Next thing you know, a sysadmin logs in at 2 a.m. when there's a problem and they don't understand how the config file works anymore. And now it takes four hours to restore the system instead of two minutes. Those three categories, again, they're performance, security, and risk. Performance, security, and risk. That's right. Okay. Angela, have you ever run into those situations where you've updated to a new operating system and it just breaks everything? Yes, sir. Not everything is for everybody. You think Mm -hmm. about if you're running an application and, well, let me back up. If you're going to be updating, upgrading, migrating to an operating system and it is running some sort of software, you better make sure that the vendor of said software says this should run or can run on this Mm -hmm. operating system. Mm -hmm. Don't go installing software on new operating systems because you think it's a great idea mm-hmm. and the vendor hasn't started supporting it yet. No bueno, don't do that. Mm-hmm. Another thing, if your systems are running, you're on supported OSs, you don't need to be bleeding edge. Mm-hmm. 
the features that are coming out in this new operating system, they might not even be applicable to you in, in certain circumstances. Maybe your system runs just fine, you know, and that extra performance that you think you're going to get from this new operating system might not be worth the trouble of migrating to another system. And you might break something. So I say all that to say, be cautious, uh-huh. read the... <laughs> Read the release notes, understand what's going on, what the underpinnings are, because you don't have to be 95% of the time. You don't have to be bleeding edge. You're fine where you are. Security is important. But if you're supported, you're already on a secure operating system that's getting its patches. If your performance isn't suffering, you're fine. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like, why introduce risk into your environment if you don't have to? I think it's a, I mean, that's really helpful criteria. It is, though. It really yeah. is. That's the sweet spot we were talking about, mm-hmm. right? You don't want to be too soon because there's some rough edges that sometimes need to be filed down. And you don't want to be too late because then at that point, there's a lot of things that you're missing out on. It is. It is. You get in that middle zone. You, you, you let other people who absolutely need to be on the latest and greatest update first. And they figure out what the bugs are and the edge cases and one of those edge cases might mm. apply to you, right? And mm-hmm. then those those other patches come in that kind of smooth the edges out, and then you can then you can update. Mm. Again, we had that whole episode about the operating system's role in the stack and how small changes in the foundation can kind of ripple across yep. the entire structure. Scott again made that same observation with me, emphasizing that changes can be a benefit or a catastrophe. So again, when you're working with legacy operating systems, it's really important to keep that in mind when deciding whether or not it's worth making that change. Mm -hmm. What I found really interesting in my conversation with Scott is that we talked about how operating systems are, in a way, a solution to an even more entrenched problem of legacy hardware. Scott reminded us that if you go back far enough, we don't have any portability from one machine to another. And operating systems helps with that. And that trend has continued. If you look at the original computers that could literally only run that program on that specific piece of hardware, all the way to modern containers where you can literally run a container almost anywhere, a virtual machine anywhere, you can definitely see a technology trend where portability is a theme. And that's good because human beings need portability. We sure do. Mm-hmm. Wait, say more about that. I don't think I, I don't think I quite get that. Well, we live in a hybrid cloud world at this point. And if I'm running an operating system or a container in my internal network and I need to run it into one of the public clouds for some mm-hmm. reason, uh, I want to get closer to my customer. Well, maybe I want that container to run out in said cloud. I don't need to rejigger and re-architect just because I'm moving it from my hardware on-prem to some hardware in the cloud. I want it to run the same on any footprint, be it bare metal, be it virtual, be it containers, wherever. So portability is key. Mm. We cannot be locked in to the hardware when we're talking about running operating systems. Mm. It is just bad form. It takes us back to, you know, where we came from. We don't want to go back there again. Yeah, we we like consistency, right? If I can do a thing on this machine... It'd be great if I could do the same thing mm-hmm. the same way on another machine, Tell even if it's Johan. not the same, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, the industry worked out some standards and miraculously, for once, adopted them. That compatibility or portability, 
was enabled by something called POSIX, Portable Operating System Interface or something like that. And I think they just added an X to the end to make it better. POSIX basically defined all the API calls that you would make into the operating system to like list files or open a file, close a file, blah, blah, blah. It was all these basic things, start a process, kill a process, blah, blah, blah. Angela, I saw you making a face when he spelled out what POSIX stand for. <laughs> I had no clue what POSIX stood uh. for. I had no clue. It was this thing. Everyone uh-huh. knew it existed. We never knew what the acronym meant. But mm. thank you for shedding that now light, Father mm-hmm. Linux. I appreciate it. Now we know. Now, this walk through history also has a practical purpose. The POSIX standards haven't changed very much over the years. So if you're faced with a legacy operating system and you're already pretty familiar with the command line, chances are you'll be able to use that operating system without too much adaptation, if they're both POSIX-based. It's something that he's taken advantage of in his career. As a young technologist in his 20s, he took on a consulting job to help out a printing company. They had a few servers running and some systems to control the printing machines. They would make paper products and they were doing all kinds of weird printing that I I don't even fully understand. But I know the machine, the machines looked big and kind of dangerous to me as a nerdy software guy. And so, you know, you go in the back room and there, there was a couple normal systems, maybe like a Sun system, which is POSIX. But then they had this open VMS system, which was like installed by this specific software vendor that controlled this specific printing press. I'd never worked at this before in my life. I'd never even used it. Have you ever used uh, OpenVMS or heard of it before, Angela? I've used it, but I've never heard it. But I have operated a printing press. Ah. I sure did. Interesting. It's a long story. I'll tell you about it. (laughs) We'll get back to that in in another episode. (laughs) Now, he can't be sure that this OpenVMS system was POSIX compliant, but there was still enough overlap for him to work things out. I found that like these skills translated pretty well. I had worked on a bit of SGI's, IRIX. I had worked on some Solaris. I'd worked on Linux. So I had like three or four Unixes I had messed with and worked on, I guess, at work, I should say. So when I went to OpenVMS, it wasn't that big of a jump. I was like, okay, you type commands into this weird terminal thing. It outputs stuff once you type these commands. That's good. You kind of get the gist of this. At least it's not some, I'm not typing in numbers or something. You know, like it was just like there were commands. So I had to look up the commands, start to understand them. Solaris, SGI, those aren't names you hear very much anymore. I was going to say, I hear <laughs> those names. Oh, but really? But you're right. Your, your caveat <laughs> of not much anymore. Mm, yeah. yeah. Mm. So you still, you still do run into them, just not all the time, right? Exactly. Right. But when you do run into them... I'm assuming you have some familiarity with them because there's a lot of overlap in the syntax and how the how they're used. Is that right? Indeed. A lot of these Linux operating systems, a lot of the core commands are the same. So mm-hmm. if you can kind of putch your way around to try to figure out how to make things work, that's that thing where we can kind of translate what we know about this operating system mm. and we can kind of try to use it on this operating system. And hopefully we're successful. If not, we read the documentation. Mm. We, we you know, again, putz around until we kind of figure it out. And mm. then, you know, just enough to be dangerous or mm. just enough to do whatever it is you set out to do on mm-hmm. this system. Just enough. <laughs> So you have the fundamentals down of working with operating systems, and it helps you go from one to another. And you're not going to be a power user right away for those older systems. But there's that solid base that you can start from. 
you start to realize you can kind of use any computer and kind of at least 60 to 80% of your skills will transfer. Even when you get advanced on Windows, you'd be surprised how fast they can actually learn Linux once they know how to use a computer. They understand what a driver is. They understand what a file is. They understand what network connections are and performance and security, basic security concepts. So, so yeah, I would say the concepts are still the most important. Now, there's a couple things I'd like to bring up here. He says learning Linux like it's a monolith. And to some degree, thanks to POSIX, it is. But... Beyond the fundamentals, there's a lot of variability between distributions. Mm. And there are a lot of distributions out there. Yes, there are. <laughs> Everyone has their favorite flavor of mm-hmm. Linux. And mm-hmm. you head to Reddit, you're going to see some really interesting conversations about <laughs> which one is the best flavor. So, mm-hmm. yeah, when you're learning Linux, you're learning the basics, the things that kind of make things Linux. There are literally thousands and thousands of Linux distributions, and they all use different versions of kernels and different versions of glibc and different programs and different package managers and all these different... It is a flora and fauna. It's like a Cambrian explosion of different pieces of technology. And so, yeah, Linux, they're all POSIX. They all kind of look and feel the same, but there's definitely some differences. With Linux, the operating system opened up and everyone wanted to put their own spin on it. It's the blessing of open source, right? Take it and make it your own. But that can also be a detriment to that portability we've been talking about. From what Scott was telling me, there were a scary few years where it looked like that divergence might keep going. But there's been a successful move to establishing and keeping those fundamental standards. Now, when so many things depend on operating systems to be stable, it's not a huge surprise to learn that there's a lot of overlap of function over time and across operating systems. That doesn't mean that there are no changes over time, however. And when they do come, they can be quite controversial. Like almost on one hand, you can count the things over a 25-year career that really rattled me where I was like, all right, I got to go learn this new thing. It's pretty changing. And that's why I think Systemd was so big to people. They got mad because they're used to not having to change too much and kind of graft on technology at a speed that they were pretty comfortable with. So I'm not very familiar with what the uproar was about over Systemd and what (laughs) Systemd does. Angela, you look like you're kind of on the edge of your seat trying to tell us a little bit more. So why don't you go ahead? So when we switch to Systemd, which Mm -hmm. is how we use services and Uh, unit files and things like that, right? We were so used to, it's just that thing. You're so used to doing one thing one way Uh and it is embedded in your DNA Uh and something comes along and it's like, you know what? We're going to rip all that out and we're going to do this. This Uh is how we're going to run with system D. We're going to have all these different unit files. They do all these different things. You're going to have to start stop services with this whole new syntax. And I remember some of my colleagues being like, oh, this is so dumb. Everything worked the way it was. Why are we doing this? And I'm, you know, it didn't bother me one way or the other. It's like, I'll just put a sticky note. Like, just remember, you have to run this command. And then it just kind of opened up. You, you Once you understood more of System D and what it was actually doing, it was a move in the right direction. But mm. that knee jerk, boy, <laughs> people were really up in arms. But mm-hmm. again, we're not comfortable with change too much yeah. in technology. So, so I think from this episode, we're kind of learning that one, operating systems are 
everywhere. Everything. Everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And that you're going to run into a lot of legacy operating systems in your Mm -hmm. career as a technologist. And, you know, I think what I'm hearing from what Scott was saying is that maybe that's not as scary as it might seem at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of, I don't know what to say, like valid reasons for it or a lot Mm -hmm. of uh, logical reasons for why that is. Is Mm -hmm. that right, Johan? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, He So he mentioned at the very top of the episode that there are a lot of devices out there running on operating systems that don't get updates. And it could be, you know, an IoT device that's in your house. It can be your car is running on an operating system that doesn't often get updated. It can be, you know, an old computer. It can be a cell phone, a tablet. Yeah. And that's just in consumer devices as well. You go into uh, commercial, into manufacturing. Mm-hmm. There's just going to be devices everywhere that enterprises because they don't need to update that much. They they don't right. And so, if you start working for these the companies that make and update um, these these devices that have the older operating systems on them, you might run into being the person that has to finally put that update in place. Now, that being said, let's keep going. Let's take that a little further, right? Let's recap of the episode. It's going to be everywhere. It might be part of your job to run into it. It's not that big of a deal, right? Yeah. Because not anymore. Not anymore. Not, with the internet making all of this information so accessible, yeah. Yeah. with generative AI and you know going in and asking it questions and it hmm. providing you with these really in-depth answers, you don't have to sweat it. I think gone are the days where you have to worry about, you know, this old operating system and I have to move over to this new one and I'm not really sure and I'm not really comfortable. I think those problems and those issues are starting to go away slowly but surely. I think we're more comfortable with change more than we used to be because I think things are changing so quickly. Hmm. Uh, We've gotten used to things not staying the same for very long. And thanks to the internet, you know, we can, we can learn those new things uh, at the push of a button. And thanks to standards like POSIX, there aren't that many new things to learn when you're going from one operating system to the next, or at least, you know, you can get started exactly. with the fundamentals and you can build on from there, right? On our next episode of Compiler Legacies, Kim Wong is going to call on the API experts. Ooh, I can't wait for that. What did you think about today's episode? We are talking about the ossified operating system. I'm sure you're running some somewhere in a closet at your job that no one wants to talk about because yes, we are embarrassed. We would love to hear what version, what what version of said operating system are you running? Hit us up on our socials at Red Hat using the hashtag compiler podcast. We would love to hear it. And that does it for the operating systems episode of Compiler Legacies. Today's episode was produced by Johan Philippine, Kim Huang, and Caroline Craighead. A big, huge thanks to our guests, Scott McCarty and Aaron Lee. Victoria Lawton keeps our operating system elitism in check. Our audio engineer is Chris Clark. Special thanks to Sean Cole. 
Our theme song was composed by Marianne Chetta. Our audio team includes Lee Day, Stephanie Wonderlich, Mike Esser, Nick Burns, Aaron Williamson, Karen King, Jared Oates, Rachel Ertel, Devin Pope, Matias Foundas, Mike Compton, Ocean Matthews, Paige Johnson, and Alex Tribulsi. If you liked today's episode, please follow the show, rate the show, leave us a review, share it with someone that you know. It really helps us out. All right. We will see you next time. Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye. <laughs>